This is Jim Duncan with Nest Realty and Sweat the Details. Dr. Jessica Louts with the NAR is our guest this week and is our first repeat guest. We're in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic and trying to make sense of the housing market, buyer and seller trends, and which of those are permanent and which are temporary. Thanks for listening as we walk through some of the current trends and try to predict the next. This is Jim Duncan with Nest Realty and Sweat the Details, sitting here with Keith Davis and Jessica, Dr. Jessica Louts from the NAR. Um, Jessica, thanks for taking the time to, to spend with us today. Uh, y'all released a report this morning. Today is uh, Thursday morning, pretty sure it's still Thursday, uh, early July. Um, what, any highlights of that report that you want to hit before we start, start rolling? Yeah, so I think the big takeaways that I had from this report is the number one question we wanted to ask people is, where are you? Where do you feel you are in the market recovery? Do you even feel like your place right now, your local area is in recovery? What we did find is the majority of members feel like they're in a state of recovery. Some are even saying that their market is hotter than what they had seen before or what they had expected in a typical summer. Essentially, that spring market has been shifted. There's a lot of pent-up demand right now from consumers. But then we saw a lot of other changes from the buyer side and what buyers are looking for now. I mean, one of the ones that I saw when I was when I was digging into it was that people's perception of their or their their need for a short commute, it seems, has shifted pretty rapidly. So, so tell us a little bit about that, but also the time frame in which this was this study was done. Yeah, that's an important question. Is that time frame? Um, it, you know, I think that's the caveat that I have every time I do a survey and we put a survey out. Is okay. When did we actually look at that data? Um, we had the survey open a very short time period, just a few days, but it was the end of June. So the end of June, now we're in the second week in July and we're already seeing some big changes already. So we know that states have started locking back down, um, been uh, restricted. So there's a lot of uh, business that has changed very rapidly, adopting to these changes, pivoting. Real estate, number one, uh, really changed their business practices to be able to operate in this. But then there's a lot of people working from home. And so that commute time matters so much less. Uh, about a quarter of, in fact, more, I think it's more than a quarter, 22% are saying that that commute time doesn't matter. And 5% are saying they need a parking spot now where they weren't looking for one before. So you're looking at more than a quarter of buyers are saying, you know, I have to find a place that really takes these things into account not the traditional go-to-work, nine-to-five, Monday through Friday. It's different for me now. I've had a lot more clients. I've, I've identified a home office as a, you know, they need three you know three bedrooms, two baths, and a dedicated home, home office, if not two home offices, because yeah. we're all working from home now. Yeah, you almost need a home office for your kids, in all honesty, if you have them at home, too. So is that like four home offices, four bedrooms? I'm not sure. <laughs> we, we really all need this different type of space. Um, I, I would take a dedicated cat room because my cats just want to join me at any time here. You might see them. So uh, truly, I, I think that we are using our homes in different you, ways when than we, we have, ever have when, Jessica, when we've got a shift like that and, and so it, seems that- it makes sense as to why immediately we're feeling it, is this something that when you've seen other shifts like this in the past, are they shifts that stay with us for a long period? Are these things that stay in our, our national psyche and change the way we're we really look at houses long term or when we get to the point where we're not needing the home office every day, we just it will cease to be a concern. Yeah, that's a really fantastic question. I mean, when we look at this, there's no uh, unprecedented is like the word of the day, right? Maybe you could just make a drinking game out of it. I think we say it so often. 
Um, but it really is an unprecedented time. We've never had this in our lifetime where we can think back and say there was this moment in history. I think the only thing that we can do is look back at past generations, World War II coming out of World War II. There was a lot of buildup. There was a lot of pent up demand. Um, and there was a ramp up of suburban communities, this could be one of those changing points where we truly do see this move from city centers, this uh, right. reliance on people working at home more than they had before. So I, I think that you may go into the office once a week or twice yeah. a week. Probably not going and to and I will say, I mean, I think part of it is also that um, just on a personal basis, I have, there's so much about being in an office that I miss but there was also real efficiency gains by not being in that type of environment every day. Um, I, I would imagine I'm going to want to be at home two days a week moving forward. Like I just, I don't see it. Even if we open the office full time, I don't see us wanting to make that, that shift back to being there 40 hours or more. So Jessica, t- you know, sort of tacking onto that, you know, it, it, through my career, I've had, you know, so it seems to have increased every year where uh, as my client base has gotten older, they're more concerned with their parents moving in with them as they get older. And now you're seeing that, you know, the kids, the 20, you know, 18 to 23 year old kids, they all rapidly came back home when college was canceled. So, I mean, do you, you know, so I'm asking more of my clients if they need space for their grown kids and for their parents, is this a shift in, you know, from an economic perspective, obviously people are looking for more needs for their housing, but do you think it's going to be a generational shift that's going to stay with us as well? Yeah, absolutely. So, If we look pre-COVID, one in six um, Gen Xers and one in six younger boomers did purchase a multi-generational home. So they were already planning on having an adult child living with them or an aging parent. Um, So more than just your nuclear family. Right now, we are seeing in our survey data is that agents are saying, yes, we're actually working with buyers. And there's more buyers who are saying, I've missed my older adult relative for months, haven't been able to see them, don't want them in an active senior care, senior care kind of living situation. I want to bring them into my home. Or you also have children who are over the age of 18 who very possibly could have been living independently post-college in an apartment who then decided, you know what, I want to social distance. I want to quarantine with my family. I've heard a lot of stories along these lines of even married couples who were living in downtown apartment buildings with elevators who said, you know, I don't feel comfortable like this. I'm going to go live with my parents, my in-laws for an extended period of time. Um, It gives more social distance, more space in the house uh, for more breathing room of what you have in a tiny apartment. Yeah, I mean, I've had a lot of people identified. You know, we don't in, in the Charlottesville market. We have very few buildings with elevators. But from a societal perspective, I've read and talked to people who travel that the elevator is a huge impediment to to where they're going to stay and live. So I think it's going to be a, an interesting transition as we move to a new world. Yeah, and in the data right now, we're seeing there's this shift between if you were originally looking for a multifamily, you're now seeing this shift of more than ten percent, thirteen percent of people are saying. No, I want a single family home. So this is really having your own door, having your own space. Maybe that's a townhouse, um, but more likely. And the shift. So um, you, the idea of moving from townhouse or from condos into single family. Um, we were talking before we got on on this pod just about the the shift from cities to other areas, and and the fact that you guys were releasing that info this week as well from NAR. Um, any thoughts that you want to expand on what you're seeing just purely from that, from 
the movement of urban and rural or suburban and, and where that is and, and the move to single family? Yeah, that's a really interesting one. So we were hearing, we surveyed on this back the first week in May, and we only have yeah. 5% of members. So the first week in May is a long time ago. It seems like a million years ago now. Um, we only have 5% of members who were saying, yeah, we're having a ramp up of people who are moving from city centers into uh, rural suburban areas. Now we have a quarter of members who have said that. So that's, that's a, a significant increase in just a very short period of time. And we were hearing a lot anecdotally from our research committee of members who were saying they could have had multiple offers on properties in rural areas that honestly have been sitting we're, for a year and now they're seeing multiple I will say in, in speaking so with our brokers at Nest, that is absolutely the case, that properties that had been, um, I don't want to say ignored, but certainly had not been hot properties um, and areas that were farther from the city center than was, you know, was deemed, you know, less desirable at the time. Those properties are the same ones that are now getting shown regularly. Um, and we're seeing just more and more people looking exurbs um, for a little bit more privacy, a little bit more space. And, and um, there's no, no question that's shifted. But within cities, are you seeing that as well, that people are moving out of the high rises and moving to single family or is, are they actually leaving town? So right now on the data, um, we've asked it, so we asked it in two different types of questions. We are seeing some early signals though that that condo market has a weaker um, rebound than what we are seeing on the single family. So single family, definitely the place that people want. And it's not just the internal space within that home, it's also having a yard. Um, and we asked it in, in a pretty unique way. We didn't actually expect that it would be as high as it was, but people want a yard to actually grow their own food. They're tired of relying on Instacart, Amazon Fresh, all the deliveries, refreshing, trying to get a delivery time and just to get a bag of lettuce or a bag of kale or whatever that they're looking for. And so they're actually saying, I just want to rely on my own property, which is really a fascinating change. And that's something that I suspect is going to stay with us as we move through this pandemic and come out the other side. I mean, that, again, that's, that's going to be a... I see. I see that as as being something that you look. You talk to people who lived through the, the Great Depression that changed their entire worldview, and I think that that's you know my suspicion is that's going to stay with us for you know 20, 30, 40, 50 years as people try to become more resilient. Well, hopefully, people become more resilient and self sufficient as we move through this. Um, I, I mean, are you seeing? And, and again, as, as this thing has, has happened, have you seen that as the demand has picked up? Are we catching up to the housing shortage or is that getting worse? Um, you know, I, I've been doing this for almost 20 years and every year we talk about housing shortage, housing shortage, housing shortage. Are we, is there any sense of, you know, a, a bright light to that or are we just still in the same place? So I'm wincing, um, which I don't think you can <laughs> hear on the podcast. Um, uh, we're not seeing any uh, loosening of that housing shortage. So in fact, the first thing that really did happen is a lot of sellers said, I don't feel comfortable having a stranger walk through my home. Um, you do see now that people are relisting their properties, but there is a higher buyer demand than there is on the seller side. So even if a buyer was thinking about purchasing a property, maybe in the next six months, a year, the uh, coronavirus has really sped up that timeline. People are in this Instapot situation where they're thinking, I can't stay in this space for an extended period of time. If I'm gonna have to work from home the rest of 2020 or be here with my kids, this is not the place I have to be. 
And so you see this buyer demand ramping up at higher levels. And unfortunately, there's not the properties on the market to be able to meet that increased demand. So Jessica, um, so is that coming from, really just getting um, you know, last year when we spoke and you were with us in, in October of last year, one of the things we did talk about was the new household creation numbers and how that was outpacing new construction and, and other, you know, whether it's multifamily or single family, it was outpacing the, the new rooftop constructions. Are we still seeing new, is new household creation still on the rise or is, is, is that something different than what we're looking at now? And now we're just looking at pent up demand. So I think right now we're likely looking at pent up demand and some of this we're going to have to see as the months shake out because there are a lot of people who are doubling up, whether that is that older adult relative or whether that's the adult child who moved back in post-college. We're going to have to see how this shakes out in the next few months to see if this is a permanent uh, living situation or if this is a temporary living situation just to get us through COVID. And I think that's up for debate right now. What we do know, though, is there is going to be some shakeup. And even if that's a divorce boom, I hate to say it, but we're seeing it in other countries already, um, people are saying, I, I don't want to be locked up. Or you could say a marriage boom. You are also seeing that in other countries. So both of these things create household formation um, one way or the other. So I mean, I saw a report the other day that said that that we're looking at a birth rate decline of nearly half a million in, in the U.S. I mean, it's yeah. you know, it's you know, this that's going to balance out some of this as well, correct? So this is a really fascinating one. I I think that the the birth rate thing is is really fascinating. We're looking at more than a thirty five year low in uh, a birth rate drop. So it, it's really a baby bust of what we've been seeing in the U.S. for more than thirty five years. Just people are not having children. A lot of it has to do with finances. It's $2,000 a month to put a kid in daycare or preschool. That's that's a lot of money. Um, and people don't necessarily have that cash on hand. Now, there's been some demographers who have said, oh, well, maybe we'll see a baby boom coming out of this. People are at home, not much else to do. I don't think so. I, I'm a little, I'm skeptical of it just because folks are cash stuffed right now and they're being wary and and they're watching other people well, trying homeschool, and uh, I'm wary of that one. Well, that's I mean the fact that they're the fact that they're planning is a good thing. I mean, it, to, to a certain Expensive. degree, that they're recognizing that having a kid is, you know, I love my children dearly, but it's a massive, massive uh, economic drain on the household to have well, a kid, I, a new kid just, in the household. I will also say that I mean, and just yeah. I say yeah. so. I got to but I don't know that everyone who said it says it in jest, but I think it's truthful, which is. There will be a lot of families who have their first child during COVID. There are not as many families who will add to their brood, right? That there is a, if you're working from home with small children, the likelihood of having more small children is close to zero. It's just, it, it becomes a different, it becomes a different process, right? And, um, and I think it's going to be fascinating to see how many people choose to put, you know, if there's a bigger spread between first and second children now or second and third kids and, and, or if there's just a lower, lower number of, of, you know, household size. Um, but it's, it's definitely, I mean, I think we hear people talking about it all the time and, um, you know, so it's, it's definitely real. I mean, yeah, and it could be a generation of only children. That's something else that we could see which will be interesting as well. Um, that that could impact uh, moving forward what people need in that home. That's fewer bedrooms, that's less preference to the schools that are very close because um, it, it matters less to that particular family. 
So with the data that you're looking at right now, I mean, how, you know, how, I'd like, nice to meet your cat. Um, you know, it's, it's um, you know, when do you know that the data is good? And what I mean by that is, you know, if you look at the data set from Monday through Thursday, you know, and then you evaluate it on Friday, you publish on Monday or Tuesday, you know, what kind of look back do you do and when to say, okay, well, that data was good, or when do you scrub it to make sure it's it's the best data you can possibly have? Yeah, absolutely. So we do have some quality controls when we look at survey sampling. So we want to make sure that it goes out to a large random sample of members. We're not just looking at all of the members in New York and California and Texas, biggest states. So we're oversampling from those states accidentally. We don't want to do that. Um, we want to make sure that we have a good representation. We also do some quality to check controls. We want to make sure that the sample is large enough that we get back. So our margin of error is really small. Um, it, so it's plus or minus one, maybe 2% on the high end, so that we feel confident that this really is representative. And then we'll ask some demographic questions. So we may throw in there, what's your location that you do your business in? Or what's your income? What's your age? And does this match up with what we see on our large samples, like 20,000, 10,000 members? And does this match up with what we're seeing from the membership overall? Then we feel confident that we can move forward with the results. And the data that you put out in this, in this report, that's a nationwide sample of, you know, of all, all the realtors in Oklahoma, all, ages, all regions of the country. Yes, so. this one is. Um, in some of the reports that we do, we want to have oversamples for specific areas. In fact, we were doing a weekly flash survey when COVID first started, um, so back in March, and we were doing oversamples at that point uh, in specific states where they had bigger outbreaks. Uh, by the time we put out the report, though, I have to honestly say that the data was outdated because we were looking at oversamples in Washington and California, and then we realized that New York was really the big heavy hit state, but we didn't realize it when we were surveying. So. These, this is a rapidly changing situation where we really do want to make sure that we keep a, a pulse on what's going on. So you know, our audience is a mix of you know, realtors around the country and, and consumers. I mean, from a consumer perspective, what questions do you think that they should be asking of, of themselves and the market and, the, and their representation as they're evaluating you know, whether to buy or sell right now? Yeah, from a consumer perspective, you know, I, I think be reassured that the real estate market did pivot, that people went to technology. If you can do something with social distancing, realtors have figured out how to do it. And they did that very rapidly and very quick uh, to make sure that everyone stays safe in that transaction. If it's something that is an in-person action that you're doing. So you've already looked at the home online, you've done a virtual tour, you've even talked to potentially that seller, the sellers walked their iPhone around the house and really showed you the nitty gritty. But it gets to that point where you do need to see that home in person. Your realtor is going to take all those precautions, making sure that you wear a PPE, that the doors and windows are open, that there's fresh air, so that no one is in harm's way in that in that action that you're taking. And that's that's one thing I'll, I'll echo that it's been it has been fascinating to see how fast the realtor community has has pivoted and adjusted to this. It was that you know the March 13th, Keith, you know, when we shut down, and then that two to four weeks of yeah, it really. Huh, it, it, and this is only, something fascinating. You know, it was, and, I would say the week it, it between March 13th and March 20th, we were 
kind of scrambling to figure out what to do and what to say and how to operate. And I think if you looked at the showing time um, numbers for for home openings, it, it was dramatic. It was down you know, 30, 50 percent of showings that week between the 13th and the 20th when we went into a national lockdown kind of uh, or states began lockdowns. Um, we have built our way back out and I've looked at by state, there are, there are a lot of states that actually are higher now in showings than they were a year ago, the, that, that the kind of business has returned. But we did move, we, we dramatically changed the way we're showing properties. We, the number of homes that are have virtual tours now, the, the number of listings with Matterports, the number of, of agents who are doing FaceTime showings before they ever bring a client into a house is certainly increasing. Um, while this is not demographic, and I know this isn't your area that you spend all your time on, have you all looked at whether these again are a permanent shift? Is this, or do you all feel like this is something that sellers and buyers now expect? Is this a, will this be part of our home buyer profile at the end of the year? That's a new questions. Uh, yeah, I, I honestly do think that this is a lot of this is permanent shifts. Um, there's a lot of the technology tools that you can take advantage of as a buyer and as a seller really do up the game of realtors and realtors want to make sure that they are upping their own game as they compete among themselves and their own sales numbers from the year past. So we know that this is something that's going to continue on. When we look at the profile home buyers and sellers next year, what we're going to end up doing, so it's released this fall, is that we're looking at those who purchased pre-COVID and then those who purchased after COVID. And we expect some massive changes. Already what we're seeing is that about a quarter of buyers agents who worked with a buyer put a contract on a home the last week, that buyer only saw that home virtually. Do you say, so you say it's about 25% of us putting in contracts I've seen? Yeah, you know, I mean, I've done a, I've done a couple yeah. of sight unseen deals, but it is rare, and I am always yeah. nervous with like that's just not from the agent side. That's a scary prospect. Twenty five percent is incredible. Yeah, but I, th yeah, I think that, but I mean, I think it's also the buyers are getting more comfortable with not just what they need and what to see, but also you know that the buyers have gotten better at directing yeah. their agent to what they need and want to see. You know, I think that the agents have, the agents are adapting, obviously, but the buyers have adapted pretty rapidly as well to not being able to get inside the home. And so they are saying, here's the, here are the things I need to see in order to make a buying or not buying decision. Yeah, and I, I'm hearing at least anecdotally from members, and you guys will know this more than, than I'll be able to say, but I'm hearing that there's a heavier reliance on using that buyer's agent in this, in this transaction right now. They really are relying you on this emotional, um, but then just making sure that you do walk them through all the steps in the process, how it is different, how can I go through this transaction, what can I see in this home virtually, what do I need to take care of and think of if I see this home in person. Look, I mean, looking forward, we're, we're in you know early July 2020. You know, what do you what do you predict the next next six to nine months to look like? Yeah, well, I, I don't know that I have a crystal ball. I wish I did. Um, I, I think it's, we're going to see that a lot of the changes that were taken on early, um, so using this technology, using PPE, making sure there's limited traffic in homes, cleaning between showings, all that kind of stuff. I think we're going to see it for the next six months at least, maybe nine months. We'll have to see how quickly we can have a vaccine or squash the COVID numbers. 
Right. Um, so I, I think that like are there any things, things really that we have not yet dealt with as a country that are just enormous looming pieces that we're you know and I, I think specifically colleges haven't been haven't gone back yet right I mean I think that's the one we're we're hearing the most about that in the next you know in the next we've already seen a lot of the some of the uh, conferences are shutting down athletic pieces different universities, larger universities are now coming out with extensive plans for how to bring students back. And that's going to change in large part. Are there other things like the college question that, that are looming large um, for the for you as an economist and, and thinking forward on this? Or is this uh, any any thoughts on that? So I don't want to weigh into the territory, but I do think the, the grade school thing is definitely looming large right now in politics. Um, and what families can do um, and what that means for the job situation for uh, the, the caregivers within that house. And I, I think that, that that'll be yet to be seen, what's going to happen with that. Um, I don't have kids, so I can't weigh in on that from a, from a policy perspective or even a personal perspective. I, I really shouldn't weigh in on that territory. Uh, one of the things that I think is really interesting that's happening, uh, one of the first stimulus packages that happened alleviated some of the strain of student loan debt. So it became a zero interest loan, essentially. They took away interest for federal student loans. If someone's gainfully employed, they could really be tackling their student loan debt right now if they're financially able to do that. And I think that's going to change the buying power of millennials and first-time buyers coming out of this. That has yet to be seen. I don't know what's going to happen there, but there's a lot of people who went home and decided to cancel their rental leases or not renew their rental leases and live with mom and dad right now. So I, I think you could have more buying power for this younger generation. Huh, I hadn't even thought about that component. My state right now is just, as we've said, every every study you're coming out with, you're looking at the timeliness of when it's coming out and how rapidly it's changing. Um, we certainly never predicted where we would be or how we got to this point as, as quickly as we can. And so the idea of predicting 60 days out is, is somewhat difficult. Um, obviously the election is, is going to be the topic that, that guides a lot of the way that the equity markets, the job markets, the, you know, corporate planning, um, that's going to all be wrapped into this fall of, of yet more, concerns and, and questions. But I think what amazes me is the absolute resilience of the market right now, given the total uncertainty of the future, right? I mean, every year, every year that there's an election, we hear about uncertainty guiding the home buying process and people delaying purchasing decisions because of uncertainty. This year, there is far more uncertainty than you could ever have imagined. And yet we seem undaunted and we seem to be moving through this as you know, as if there's somehow in the background, nothing really is going on. Um, and I don't know if that's just if, you know, we haven't even mentioned interest rates right now and, and throughout this conversation. Um, is it, I mean, how is it, how is it that everybody's just ignoring the general uncertainty this year? Why is it, why is it, is there, is there an answer as to why people don't seem as concerned and they're making their consumer decisions in different manners than we've ever seen? I mean, that is a fascinating question, and one I don't think that we necessarily have an answer to right now. There absolutely is uncertainty. Uncertainty is not good for the market. That being said, you need a place to live, and if you know that the only thing you're going to be doing is staying home 24-7, 
that's going to become much more important to you where that is, what you need out of that home than it ever has been before. So I do think that that suddenly plays a role. And then knowing that you do have these low interest rates. So if you do need to be in this home for the next 30 years, is this the home for me? Can I lock this in? Um, especially if you think about just uh, the idea of renting and having that rent go up or coming from an interest rate that maybe even it's four and a half percent. That's a fantastic interest rate. But if you can get lower, then why would you not do that? And if you can buy more homes, because you're buying in a more affordable area, why would you not do that? Uh, and, and, you know, I, you know, I think I think that makes total sense. I think you know, I've had clients have reached out saying, "I'm at three and a half. Should I go to two and a half?" I'm like, yeah, which is just wow. a that, bonkers, that, yeah. <laughs> hey, it's a bonkers number. Um, and so I think that again, it's going to be interesting to see what you know three to five years looks like. And I've said that every year of my career. But looking at three to five years, the people who choose to move to an area and stay. You know, I suspect that we're going to see people are staying in their homes. You know, when I started, it was five years, and then it was now it's seven or ten years. You know, I would I wouldn't be surprised if that's more. I, eight to I do think years. it's wild that, that um, I got into this industry at a time where the one year arm was higher than our current thirty year fixed. Um, and at the time, I remember people getting the one year arm saying, "Oh." you know, this is, is the greatest rate ever. I mean, they were at like three and a half percent and people were raving happy about it. Um, and this was early nineties. Um, so it's been, you know, we've just been on a downward trajectory. It's, it's kind of, kind of kept that going. Um, Jessica, I do want to kind of bring this to a close because I don't want to take too much of your time on this, but, you know, as you think about the next six months, as you, you know, for your job or for the consumers with whom you work, um, is there, you know, is there that one detail that you have, you just are trying to stay focused on every day? And, and um, is there something we should be looking at and we should be focusing on every day? All right. So for my job, I, I think this is going to get kind of boring pretty quick, but <laughs> I want to put out the most accurate information that we can as soon as we can. So um, that's a lot of pressure for the team uh, to really put out, uh, which they know is quality research and to make sure that it's quality research and also do it fast because the conditions are changing. We seem to be at a point right now where the real estate industry quickly pivoted. We've adopted new technologies, adopted um, new ways of doing business to keep everyone safe in that transaction, which is amazing to see that um, and know the entrepreneurial spirit is there. And people want to make sure that they can up their game and make that transaction happen. But then on the data side, what we want to do is just make sure that we have the most accurate representation of what's going on. And so that's the, always the big caveat that we say, even when we release a report this morning, we're like, okay, well, we did this survey about 10 days ago. Yeah. I think it's still accurate, but things could have already changed by now. <laughs> Oh man, yeah. Uh, as I tell all my clients, my one of <clears throat> excuse me, one of the one of the roles that I fill is to provide them with the best, most most recent and most relevant information for them, for them to make the best decision they can. Um, and I'll say that I said this in October, and any any opportunity I have, the data the data and the analysis that you'll put out that we have access to is you know, is phenomenal. So uh, from from a practitioner role and from a broker role, thank you because it makes us better at what we do, as long as we take advantage of it. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, no, please do follow us on social media. Get the latest and greatest information, honestly, because the only way that we can really find it of use besides sitting on the shelf is really to put it into people's hands. Thanks yeah. for coming back and awesome. Appreciate well, Jessica, you doing thanks it. so much for taking the time. Thank you guys so much. It was great.